0: Hello everybody and welcome to the twenty-eighth blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that makes a turtin-walled worth of money every year slaying pieces of cardboard. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, Finance, Collection Management, and Speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka MTG Critic on the Interwebs. My co host is Travis Allen, AKA at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here for episode 28. Looking forward to our conversation this evening. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the
0: best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what kind of trouble are we getting into this week?
1: Uh, Well, this week is our four segments. Segment one is top movers. This is where James and I will look at the cards that have moved the most in price this week and talk about why that happened and where things might go. Segment two is our cards to watch. These are cards James and I have our eyes on as cards that may rise in price in the near future. Segment three is our metagame we can review. We'll be talking about Pro Tour Eldritch Moon, the standard Pro Tour that happened this past weekend. And finally, segment four, topic of the week. We're going to be looking uh, at the TCG player updates that have been rolled out uh, in the last day or so. Um, A lot of of things going on over there that will have subtle implications across the board. So let's go ahead and jump right in. uh, Segment one, bottom of the list, we have Deranged Hermit. Uh, this is the Urza's Legacy Foil copy. Um, it is a reserve list card as well. So, a reserve list foil. It started the week at around $25, $26, $27. It is now $50. So, it is just about doubled up. I think what we're seeing is here is one of the handful of reserve list cards that is available in foil. Squirrels always have always had a uh, small but reasonably vocal fan base and i think that this is just somebody putting pressure on a reserve list foil supply
0: yeah that sounds about right to me um the looking over the uh you know last paid prices on tcg player for uh the foil since that is now uh live tells me that the market price is sitting at about 25 dollars um, so doesn't look like they're selling at the new plateau, so worth keeping an eye on to see if you can out uh, any copies you might have lying around.
1: Okay, uh, what's next for us?
0: Uh, one of the big movers from the Pro Tour this weekend was Traverse the Ulvenwald, the green uh, rare out of Shadows over Innistrad, moving from $2 to just under 4 for about an 88% gain. Um, This movement was the result of multiple deck styles, including the black-green Delirium decks, using this card to go find uh, lands early on in the game, and then once they had hit Delirium, usually they were tracking down an emercool to put things away.
1: Uh, it's a power, powerful effect. I remember when this came out, people wondered if it was just another lay of the land, but it turns out Delirium uh, was pushed strong enough in Eldritch Moon that it seems to have made Traverse quite playable. And I'm seeing a $3 market price on this as well, so I think this price is, um, is at least pretty reasonable, pretty real, I should say. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, next up is Kozalux Return from Oath of the Gatewatch. Came in the week at five dollars uh, We're looking at about $11 right now for a little more than double. Kozalux Return, uh, as we might bump into in uh, our Pro Tour discussion a little later on, was a big part of Pro Tour Eldritch Moon. Uh, it showed up in a lot of decks, uh, Delirium decks, that use it alongside of Gather the Pack and Grapple with the Past, basically to dump Kozlux Return into the graveyard and then bring it back with Elder Deep Fiend or Emmerichol or Ulamog or uh, Distended Mindbender. So, um, not too much of a surprise to see this on here. I feel like we had this somewhere on our cards to watch in one of the past episodes, maybe not. Um, and I'm also seeing a market price of $9 on this one, so this is definitely really starting to pick up. Uh, you have any? Any thoughts
0: on this? Yeah, I mean, I was running the Pro Tour coverage all weekend, and uh, early on, it seemed pretty clear, based on the number of uh, Elder Deep Fiends flashing that card back to clear the board against things like Bant Company, um, that we were dealing with a winner. Uh, it's a mythic that we, we did mention several episodes back, and a lot of people have had their eye on. Um, you know, there was. Uh, it was being forecast as a strong card as soon as it was revealed and then kind of fell off the radar as we exited Eldrazi Winter. Um, but now that we've got these emerge cards that are all over seven casting cost, and they're coming into play at four or five casting costs. Um, and we've got a bunch of mid range decks that have busy board states that need cleaning up. Uh, Kozilek's return is just well, well positioned whether that will last or not remains to be seen. Um, so I think if you got in on these low in the three, four or $5 range, um definitely be looking to out now and, and don't hold your breath.
1: Now I'm I'm looking at Kosluk's return at around you know ten to eleven dollars and I find myself wondering if it is almost worth holding on to right now. Uh this card was very good at the Pro Tour it's, you know, it's already doubled up, which is a lot of a gain. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, this seems like the type of card that could easily be $20 or close to it uh, this October after rotation happens. And it's, it's still good. Um, And, you know, a lot of these big emerge decks don't seem to lose a lot of steam, uh, but the rest of the format drops away a little bit. So do you think there's much life left in this card at, you know, $10, maybe not, maybe not buying at 10, but trading at 10?
0: I don't know. It, it really depends. With recent mythics, what we're looking for is four of status, which this definitely has. And I think it was interesting that Emmercool popped harder despite only usually being a one or two of. And I think that's you know a testament to the power of camera time. Um, Emmercool just put so many games away. So many long extended board states would end with an Emmercool crashing in after wrecking the opponent's hand. And it was such a dramatic way to, for games to finish. Um, you know, there was a game where Owen uh, was playing against a Japanese player and had, uh, in the top eight and had to cast Emrakul four times to take the game, um, and it was just, you know, it was getting a ton of uh, the, you know, total camera time devoted to dramatic moments at the Pro Tour, and so because of that, we, th- we saw a harder pop on Emmercool despite it not being uh, a frequent four of, I think most decks, most ex- as I said, were running one or two, occasionally a three. Um, so all of that is in Kozak's Return's favor. But the problem is that it, it's very—it's the kind of card that is very metagame dependent. So long as the Emerge decks are good, Kozak's Return has a solid shot at g- further gains in the fall. If the Emerge decks aren't what's hot uh, come rotation, and there's no saying what we're getting exactly in Kaladesh and how that changes the landscape. Um, you know, if I got in below 5 and I can get in over 10 or even trade out at that level, I'd be perfectly happy to, you know, leave some money on the table.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't disagree. If you got in, you know, in that three to five range, I'm completely comfortable getting out here just to kind of lock in your profits. And at the same time, I guess, you know, if I don't own any and I'm I'm an F and M and I'm trading and I see this in a binder, I don't feel bad picking it up, especially if I'm getting rid of some other stuff that's much more inflated. But uh, I mean, you, you raise very good points too, for, for sure. Um, Okay. Let's move on though. What's next for us?
0: So apparently the Antiquities version of Strip Mine, um, the land that kills all other lands uh, in an utterly broken fashion, has moved from $12.50 to $25 for 100% gain. Um, worth doing a little check here to see what it's actually selling for on eBay and through TCG players' uh, path pricing, I suppose. Uh, I mean, this is a card that got uh, a Zendikar Expedition this year. It was in From the Vault Exiled. Um, but there's, there continues to be strong collector demand for these original printing black border printings.
1: Yeah, I am saw there was zero of one, one art, um, three of another, uh, three sellers, I should say one seller of another zero near mint of one of the other arts. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of copies of these, of the various antiquities arts left on TCG player at the moment. And they're all in the, you know, the 25 to $30 range at least. Yeah and, near
0: yeah, and I'm seeing like 18, $18 to $20 market price. So it looks like the spike is, is real, even if it's not uh, necessarily hitting 25 It looks like 20 as a plateau is a very reasonable expectation moving forward.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree. Why don't you do the next one, too? Strip mine was was quiet.
0: Sure. So cool the promised end, as we said, showed a, a big gain after, you know, dominating the Dominating the you know dramatic landscape of the pro tour, um, popping from around twelve and a half dollars to almost twenty eight or thirty, starting to fall a little bit down now into the mid twenties, but still uh, a hundred percent plus gain and and probably my best spec of the month um, because I was up in the middle of the night um, covering the pro tour when it became apparent that Emmercool was everywhere. Um, definitely snapped off ten copies and flipped them on PukaTrade Trade uh, once the price spiked, and uh, very happy with that result.
1: Sure, hard to see how you couldn't be. <laughs> uh, I will. Uh, okay, I'll catch the next one. This is Voldaren Pariah out of Eldritch Moon. It went from you know a little over a dollar, dollarish a copy, to almost three dollars a piece for uh, for over a hundred percent. And this is one I actually mentioned a week or two ago, two yep. weeks ago. Episode weeks ago, tw- so-
0: episode twenty five, Travis Pick. It-
1: yeah, some number of weeks ago, you know, I, I liked it as a I, I called it out as a larger percentage gain. So it's not there yet, uh, but it is still moving. Well, darn Priya if you recall, is the um, it has a madness cost of triple black and it's a three, three flyer. You can sack three people. And then when you flip three guys to it and then it uh, transforms and when it transforms, it makes your opponent sack three guys. So you trade in stuff like Insolent and Neonate and you eat their, you know, whatever. Uh, Elder Deep Fiend. Uh, very powerful. It started to show up in a few standard decks. It was not a big part of the Pro Tour. I don't think it was in some outlier decks, but it seems to be picking up some steam on the fringes, uh, maybe as a budget deck for people out there who are interested in playing um, some decks out of the Pro Tour that don't play Uh, you know, the rogues gallery of the more expensive cards. So definitely starting to see some movement. We might see this back in another week or two. If you picked up copies on my recommendation at a dollar, you know, you might have difficulty getting out of this at a real profit so far, but I would definitely be watching this every day so that you could look for a good opportunity.
0: Well, I mean, if they picked it up at a dollar trading out at three or four locally for somebody who needs them, uh, isn't crazy uh, because uh, it was actually the blue black zombies deck, um, that did reasonably well at the pro tour, uh, Their their total metagame like put through percentage wasn't that great, but there was definitely some players that got pretty deep with it and they were running four copies. Um, It has all sorts of broken things it does uh, where it pops back out of some stuff back out of the graveyard and interacts with Prized Amalgam and Relentless Mm -hmm. Dead. And I mean, that deck was looking very sexy on camera, Uh, a bunch of interactions that most people missed and weren't talking about early. Um, so I mean, your pick was strong, and it, it's definitely got some room to move. I, I suspect that the the local meta game, because the deck is so fun, um, and also rewards tricky technical play that will will appeal to the kind of like local, you know, Friday night F and M sharks. Um, you know, I think people are going to pick up this deck. Uh, it's a, it's a different direction from a lot of other things going on in standard right now, and there's a lot of four of's in this deck uh, on the creature side of things. Uh, you know, four Relentless Dead, four Prized Amalgam, which also saw movement this week, uh, four Cryptbreaker, and four of the Pariah. So, if, you know, it's possible it gets up to five or six if the if the deck stays in the meta. If it falls out, you're going to wish that you got out at three before it falls back to a dollar. Um, I've actually been picking up some foils on Puka for the long term because it's an, a stunning foil. Um, and as a flip foil vampire, that's probably got some legs down the road.
1: Mm, that's a good point. I was thinking about that. Okay, uh, why don't you take the next one?
0: Sure. So we uh, at a Saviors of Kamigawa, we have the original printing of Python Needle. Uh, the foil of that card moving from forty dollars to a hundred dollars, um, representing one hundred and fifty percent gain. Super low supply. Not clear that it's actually going to hold that price. Um, but you know, this has been an ever-present card in Modern and Legacy to shut down uh, a variety of threats and continues to see demand despite being reprinted in Magic 2010, 10th edition, and in again in Return to Ravnica.
1: Yeah, I was just poking around the other foil copies, the not Savior's copies, and they're all in the $10 range. There, there's plenty of Return to Ravnica copies at the moment. It's just a Savior's one that there's just one copy on the market at $100, and it looks like the market price on all the other ones are still in you know the $9, the $15 range. So um, I think this is just sort of a, a case of original foil original print being low supply with a ridiculous price tag
0: yeah it's you know one guy posting posting his copy and to see what will happen um the market price for the foils is showing is 52 so that's still a gain um of you know 25 plus percent and uh we'll see if it posts up shops you know where it's going to end up in between 50 and 100 is the question mark
1: yeah, I'm not convinced that that market price isn't just averaging like the last sold copy at 10 bucks and the current price tag of $100. <laughs> but, who knows? The CCG players' uh, algorithm, we don't get to know what it is. Um, next up is Thespian Stage uh, out of Gate Crash. We're looking at the foil copy. Started the week at a little over $13. It's now pushing 40 for nearly 200%. Uh, I don't have a great reason for why this is popping up all of the sudden. Uh, I don't know what would have happened in the last week to really put a, a move on this, aside from low supply finally drying up. Maybe there was only a few copies left. I'm seeing a market price of around fifteen dollars right now on TCG Player, so pretty close to what what the low was. Um, and the only copies left now are, are in the plus thirty, over thirty dollar range, uh, which is which is clearly where this finished price is drawing from. So um i mean do you have any any insight here james beyond just low supply
0: i've just been praying to lord emmercool that this is a real thing because i've got 20 or 30 of those stashed away (laughs) in in foil um from i don't remember who gave me the good advice but somebody was just pointing out you know two two or three years ago that this was a card bound to go up uh over time because it's just such a flexible you know has that open-ended synergy that i love so much um well
1: yeah you know, Cliff, who guested on the show for a couple episodes while I was gone, has been talking about this card since it was spoiled. I don't even think it was released yet. And he was telling everybody to buy copies. Uh, so he, you might have heard it from him, actually. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, there's definitely it, this is a, a beautiful AT- EDH card because it becomes a copy of target land and gains this ability. It doesn't have to be a land you control. So when there's five or six people sitting at the table, you have your pick of what broken land you want to have suddenly appear on your side of the table. Um which is a great ability, and uh, Gate Crash is is not a great set. Um, in in there are boxes of that set still all over the place, um, but the reality is nobody wants to pop them because there's not enough uh, to go digging for, and you know the odds of getting any specific foil are so low in those circumstances, uh, especially a rare or a mythic, that you're not definitely not going to pop boxes to chase that. That's not something vendors are going to do either, and so it's easy for a card that's you know two, three, four years old that. you know, has broad applications in the casual market, you know, once the hundred or so foils in the market dry up over that period of time, we get into this kind of state of affairs where people can start, you know, experimenting with prices on TCG and see what sticks.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, My favorite thespian stage play is to copy your own legendary land and then sacrifice it when you have get Rog monster out and draw cards it's very <laughs> strong play.
0: so like so like so like gaia's cradle with 10 tokens yep. out make another gaia's cradle tap for another 10 and then get the extra value off the Get Rog.
1: well it doesn't quite work that way because uh, you have to tap the thespian stage to activate it but if you're if you just need to draw a card or two and you have a lot of mana which you probably will only get Rog deck you can just pay two mana sec Stack your land and, and draw a card or two. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so last card of the week, we are looking at Conflagrate from Time Spiral. The foil this time. I believe we talked about the non-foil last week. Looks like the foil finally moved. Um, it was around ten to eleven dollars last week. I'm showing a, a price of thirty-five right now, uh, which is a little over two hundred percent gain. The prices on this are kind of all over the place. I mean, the only near mint copy on TCG Player is seventy, but at the same time, the market price is like below ten. Uh, this is in response to the green red dredge deck or various colors of dredge deck uh, that's showing up in modern lately. Apparently, at one a star. Open uh, wasn't last weekend. I think it was the weekend before the modern. The modern classic, um, apparently quite good. I know my local metagame has been preparing for for Star City, either playing it or playing to beat it. Uh, the real shame here is that I had a foil and cut it up back when it was a dollar to, uh, paste the foil onto another card. <laughs> so now I get to look, now I get to look at that. My, my foil, uh, blasphemous act is now worth like
0: $40 because it's got a foil conflagrate right stuck to it. That, that is such a Timmy thing to do. And it doesn't sound like you at all. Uh, well, you know, I do play EDH and every now and
1: then I have some amount of creativity
0: and you were just pimping out a deck.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I saw, you know, these, uh, there's these really cool foil alters that people do where you peel the foil off of one card and you paste it onto another and you get some really nifty effects. Yep. Uh, I,
0: I was quite bad at it, but it was a cool effect. <laughs> yeah, if you want to understand what a good bargain most custom cards are, um, all you got to do is try to make a couple yourself. You, you're going to get, mm-hmm. a, <laughs> typically you'll get a couple hours into that and be like, you know, 50 bucks for that, that foil transfer rare I'm looking for is probably a good deal. Yeah,
1: uh, 100% agree, all from personal experience.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so moving on to our cards to watch this week. You want to give me your first pick for this week?
1: Yeah, you know, this week I have one that jumped out at me, um, and that's just where I'm going to stick with this week. I only have the one because uh, this is all that I felt compelled to share with you guys, Um, not because I'm holding out on you, but because nothing else really grabbed my attention enough to uh to really make me want to recommend it but um this is actually in relation to uh conflagrate this is golgari grave troll uh there's copies from ravnica and the golgari versus is it dual deck that came out many years ago now Um, i'm looking at this as a short to mid pickup i'm about a seven to an eight on this guy conflagrate foils just spiked because of this dredge deck and golgari grave troll is in every single build as a four of it is the best dredger in modern uh, You know, it's moved up a little bit since it was unbanned. You know, it was unbanned, it spiked, it dropped, and now it's moved up to about 9 bucks. I think this is easily a $20 card as like the key addition in any Dredge strategy in Modern. Um, You know, this is just, it's just going to keep ticking up and gaining value. It's a really hard card to reprint. Um, So, you know, I don't think it's going to be $30, $40, $50, but I think it's really easy to make money on this. And Dredge tends to be a very popular fringe slash tier two local meta type of deck um there's always something someone's always brewed something that plays this card so uh finding buyers for this locally after it moves up shouldn't be too hard because chances are somebody wants to to play this so um you know looking at maybe 100% gain but you know at 10 bucks a piece uh, i think these are very safe to pick up and trade
0: yeah, there's a couple of reasons this is a real solid pick on your part. Um, the first is there's only 20 copies left on TCG Player in near mint condition, and some of those, you know, Channel Fireballs got their price posted at 13, um, so they're obviously not in a rush. And, you know, it's only been reprinted once in the Golgari versus Is It decks that were very plentiful at one point and now are a little harder to find. Um, the. The Dredge deck, as you said, has definitely been making a move uh, in modern. I believe it's up to 10% of the online metagame, which is significantly different than paper, um, last I checked, but could be, you know, sometimes trends start on MTGO as the most invested players do their practicing uh, leading into their local tournaments and then show up with the deck in force. So all of that bodes well. Um, The only pause I have is you know, could this card show up in Modern Masters 2017 next spring and give us a pretty short window to produce? I mean, that's possible, and you have to wonder.
1: I mean, that's definitely a concern. Um, You know, are they going to put in a Dredge archetype? I I don't know. I mean, how many cards have Dredge on them that they're interested in putting back into circulation? Um, I mean, really, there's only one rare card with Dredge written on it. It's Golgari Grave Troll. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, all the, it's the only playable rare card with Dredge written on it. And I mean, like, um, uh, Dread Return and some of those other stuff are, are banned. So I don't even know what else would go in that archetype, that draft archetype.
0: One of the things I've been considering, of course, um, and those are all reasonable points, um, is that Modern Masters 2017 might be the first Modern Masters where they decide to print new cards. Um, there's nothing stopping them from turning that corner. Um, we're doing it in the commander products. Uh, if you want to keep modern reinvigorated, um, then that's certainly a good way to do it. Um,
1: I mean, I'm right there with you. I've been saying since they announced the first modern master, this is like, "Mm, we're getting reprints for a couple of years and then they're putting new cards in because this is a great way to put cards into modern without having to deal with standard.
0: Well, like my, my last, like, kind of like check count of what could go in this next version of the set based on kind of the time frames they've been working with in terms of what sets were included, uh, leads me to believe that there, it's a relatively shallow pool unless they're going to do a lot of things we've already seen in prior sets. So, just something for people to be thinking about um, for a card like this that, you know, is taking off in modern. Um, they might have a chance to slip it in. But. Uh, based on all the other pros uh, for this rare, um, it's got a real good chance of of making a move before it gets there. I guess one of the things I didn't notice, just as I was saying that there was only 21 copies left, is that there are another 30 from the dual deck. So that's about 50 that need to clear before it really starts to make a move. Could still happen. Uh, we're heading. We're in a kind of the midst of a modern season right now, uh, and we could definitely see that movement.
1: Yeah. I mean, you talk about, oh, there's 50 or 60 copies, but I mean, what is that? A couple, a little over 10 play sets. I mean, really, when you talk, when you're talking about TCG player servicing the entire country, uh i mean that's one person in every state who wants to play who wants to play this deck just drains the entire internet um so it doesn't sometimes it's it's easy to look at tcg player and i'm not just aiming this at you i'm just kind of thinking for all of us because we we all kind of do it as you look at tcg player and you're like wow there's a humongous inventory but it's like well if one person in every state wanted to play this deck suddenly there's none left yep um So, you know, they can be they can be deceiving. And I just wanted to point out really quick that I was just flipping through our old show notes and I didn't see Golgari Grave Troll because which is odd because I swear I've talked about it before. But I did see that you picked Traversa Uvenval back in like show 15 or something at a dollar. So
0: good job. Ring our imaginary bell that we keep talking about getting. (laughs) I'm actually I'm I'm actually convinced that you did uh, call Golgari Grave Troll two to three months ago. I'd have to track down which show. Um, that yeah. was in, but I, I'm almost certain you've named that one before. So uh, moving on to my picks this week, um, most of what I've been looking at is coming out of the pro tour when I see some cards spike and some mythics start to gobble up some of the value out of a new set. Um, one of the things I like to do is look at what cards weren't played much or if at all, and maybe falling to uh, towards their local lows um, that make them appealing as long-term pickups. So one of the cards that showed up uh, in the blue-black zombies deck uh, as like a four of was Cryptbreaker, uh, and you know that's a, a very flexible zombie um, you know, for casual use on the go forward. This is the kind of card that in five years is, is easily going to show gains because of casual demand alone. Um, I could see it being at least a $6 card, say, three to four years down the road. Foils are currently available at $5. That also seems nice. Um, there's tons of them around right now, and it's not clear that that deck's going to get anywhere. It's also not clear that zombies are even a thing once we get to Kaladesh, um, but I don't really care because the number of things that this card does as a, uh, a one-drop zombie are just you know too appealing. The fact that uh, you can discard cards opens up con- combo potential. The fact that it gets you a creature is cool. And then the fact that you can tap three zombies, you control the draw card and lose a life has combo written all over it. Um, especially given that we know that the card-prized amalgam already exists and we've seen some of the interactions there. So I really like that one. Um, I also like the, um, you know, I've been looking on the Magic Online side uh, and I've been putting some money into Gisela the Broken Blade, um, specifically foils. Uh, But uh, in paper, I'm actually more excited about Handwear Battlements and Handwear Garrison. Um, Battlements is down to about a dollar now as a rare. Garrison's at two. Um, You know, when these two get together... Uh, they flip into uh, the, the second most compelling uh, com- combined uh, card uh, that merges from this set. And the fact that it makes like, what is it, a 7-4? Let me just look this up. Uh, makes 7-4 s-
1: that makes 3-2. Two, t- two three twos.
0: Yeah. Right. Tapped and attacking. So it's got that kind of like uh, hero of blade hold kind of effect. It's a trample haste creature. Um, it looks really cool in foil. The when you if you haven't played with these uh, meld partner cards, when you get them on the table and you see how big they are when you put two cards together, that's the kind of thing that screams long term collectible to me. Um, it's the kind of thing that casuals are going to see in a display case, you know, five years down the road in their LGS and get excited about and want to take home and show off at the kitchen table. And you know, given that I can get foils of both of them at five dollars each right now. Very confident that down the road, those are $10 plus foils. Maybe they're $20 plus foils.
1: Yeah, these flip cards in general are really interesting uh, as as future gainers, just the the sheer novelty of them. And I'm wondering, you know, in, in three, four five years, are these all going to be expensive? Because they're so weird to reprint and so distinct and unique.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's there's still a chance that the garrison battlements thing, you know, goes somewhere in standard. I mean, Kaladesh could be a really fast aggro oriented set, and uh, a white red humans deck could get better um, uh, on that plane, which is largely populated by humans. Um, oh, and
1: I mean, all the all the. I've seen multiple pros talk about how much they like both of these cards because they're like, look, both of these are playable on their own. The two, three is entirely serviceable as it is. And then this land is is absolutely fine. The opportunity cost is so low to put this in a deck that's playing red. And then occasionally you just get this ludicrous creature. So I I think these are are very possibly standard playable.
0: Yeah, I mean, of the two, Garrison is the better short term pick, like has the, the, the potential for short term upside, because when it's played, it's often as a three or a four of, whereas Battlements might be only a one or a two of in the deck. Um, but yeah, I definitely have my eye on these and I don't think you have to rush in and get them at these prices. I suspect that you you may be able to shave some more money off. You might be able to hit somebody up on Twitter or Facebook and get an even better deal. If you buy in multiples. Um, likewise, I really like Thalia's Lancers long-term. Um, that card has fallen all the way down to 50 cents. Um, and I, I can't see how this is not a long-term $5 card. Um, foils are at $3 right now, which seems like a great pickup for EDH. Um, I mean, this is a tool toolbox enabler. This is a card that, you know, you get a serviceable body. It's a 4 four first strike for five. Nothing exciting, um, but certainly not embarrassing. And the fact that you can go pick, pick any legendary permanent, not just legendary creatures, but you can go get things like Jit. You can go get Gaia's Cradle. Um, that's a very powerful effect. And there's just no way that the foils stay that low uh, down the road.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is definitely unique. I have to wonder... You know, you don't see five amount of four fours in like legacy or modern very often, but tutoring for stuff like that is a very unique effect. And I wouldn't be surprised to see something like um, death and taxes or something like that play. This is a one or two of, I know that sounds crazy, but it's just, that is very strong card advantage that those types of strategies may like.
0: $3 is pretty cheap for that foil. Yep. And it's, it's worth pointing out that, uh, this is a card that was played at the Pro Tour and was got camera time. And there was a, a Naya Legends deck in Standard. Um, that was running. I can't remember if it was one or two copies of this um, to go get things like uh, Thalia, Heretic Cathar, um and other pieces of their uh, legendary toolbox. So it, it has some potential to hit the three or four dollar mark during the course of its time in Standard. And if that doesn't happen, you know, I'm happy to you know put. Fifty dollars into a hundred copies of this and forget about it for three to five years.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was a doll. Thal- it was um, legendary Naya, and I a really quick. It looks like it uh, actually showed up in the list of best standard decks at twenty one points, and it was the only non legendary creature in the deck. So that was
0: seven and three. Um, I'm sorry, twenty one points is seven and three.
1: Uh yeah, seven. Twenty one points is seven. 7-3, yeah, 7-3. Yeah.
0: Apparently Nick Nick Ball was, actually it wasn't 7-3, it was 7-2 and 7 7-4, 2 one. that's uh, what it was. Uh, Nick Ball played it, and yeah, I mean, he was running just uh, two copies of the Lancers. Uh, but still, I mean, this is, this is a card that has already made its way um, onto the Pro Tour battlefield. Um, that's enough to get me interested. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely agree. Okay, let's hop over. You know, we're already on that note. Se-
1: segment 3, metagame, we can review the Pro Tour. Hey, if all these Lancers showed up, hey, look at that. Um, other than that, uh, I mean, at this point, the Top 8, I feel like it's probably pretty well known. Some some Bant, Collected Company, some de- various Delirium decks. Uh, you know, for, for me personally, watching the Top 8 and looking at the list, uh, I was kind of most struck by how much Delirium there was in general, and not just how much Delirium there was, but uh, how many various flavors there were. You know, we saw red, green, delirium, ramp deck, we saw the green black builds, we saw a few other odds and ends out in the top, um, the top performing lists. And then not only did we see a lot of delirium, we saw teamer, I feel like was probably the deck of the tournament, I- I'm inclined to call it, uh, which is really amazing because if you've been following Constructed Modern for very long, you know that Teamur hasn't been good in standard since before they called it Teamur. Uh, and really Ever? I mean, it's been a long time since Rug was good beyond one weekend.
0: Yeah, I mean, Savage Knuckleblade was a card people tried to take to top tables over and over again. And we're just having uh, yeah. so much trouble making the card work, even as broken as it looked at first glance. Um, uh, it's but actually...
1: I, actually, I want to call Savage Knuckleblade... I want to call Savage Knuckleblade the beginning of Kibler's downfall. Like, I feel like that was right around the time where he just forced it for like two pro tours and then gave up
0: and just moved the Hearthstone. <laughs> the, um, I mean, it's interesting because I, I've talked to pros who have told me to, to stash away foil Savage Knuckleblade because they, they feel that that deck will eventually be good enough. Um, I've seen Jim Davis, uh, fool around with it on stream a couple times. And I think Jeff Hooglin maybe a couple times, um, and locally, there were some players that were couldn't shut up about it for a while. So, I mean, definitely uh, a card to keep your eye on. Very interesting to see those teamer decks emerge. Apparently, in, in Owen Turtenwald's report uh, of his second place finish at the Pro Tour. Uh, and by the way, congrats, Owen. That was uh, a stunning performance to go... Second at the Pro Tour, win the Player of the Year out from under Seth Manfield, um, make it into the Hall of Fame, and guarantee your spot at the World Championships all in the same weekend. Um, One of the great, great performances of all time on the Magic stage. Uh
1: Owen's performance of Hall of Fame induction into second place of the Pro Tour may never be bested in terms of Hall of Fame weekend placements. Yeah. Although the curse of do terrible at the Pro Tour at which you get engaged, that curse is still alive and well and uh, has cost me dearly <laughs> in prior <laughs> Pro Tour uh, fantasy drafts. So if if anyone ever does Pro Tour fantasy drafts and you know somebody might be thinking about getting engaged, uh, do not pick them. <laughs> i know it's completely unrelated but just there you go
0: all right so in the top eight we had black white control uh, in the hands of the winning lucas Blohan deck this guy was just a machine all weekend quietly diligently putting his game plans together putting people away game match after match after match um owen uh s- saved his bacon in the you know he went i think 11 and 1 and then dropped uh, a few matches in a row when any one, winning any one of them would have guaranteed him a top eight slot and then pulled it out at the last second on the back of some top decks, uh, played very well in the top eight, blew past uh, LSV um, in some games that weren't really fair based on the way the hands were drawn. Um, but, you know, LSV making his third Pro Tour top eight in a row. I mean, the people's hero really driving it home this year. Um, Reed Duke also making a Pro Tour Top 8. I'm sure he's excited about that. He was playing a, a red green ramp deck. There was also a red green delirium deck. Um, LSV was on Coco Bant. Um, there was a green black delirium deck that was in the hands of Sam Pardee, I believe. Um, there was another Coco Bant deck. Um, but you know, like, it, it was cool that we saw that uh, Bant, Collected Company, was not the dominant force that people feared. The the testing for this Pro Tour seems to have been very comprehensive and people put together game plans that just went over top of that deck. Um, I can't, As we were saying earlier, that strategy of kind of try to fend off the mid-game to just get to the point where you can Elder Deep Fiend defensively, tap them down, stop an attack phase, and then uh, cast Kozalik's Return off of that Emerge creature or the next one to clear the board was just powerful over and over again.
1: Yeah, and you Collected Company Bant was still a presence. In fact, I think it was the second best performing standard deck above 21 points. So it's not like it's gone, but at least we know that there's options. You know, it's not the 60% of Day 2 that we saw in the Star City uh, the weekend prior. Um, and, and when we look at this event as a whole, the narrative, the individual card narratives to come out of this to me are Ishkana, Graf Widow, was everywhere uh, and definitely Prove that uh, not only is Delirium strong, but she's an excellent top end. Uh, elder deep fiend was a was a big story in the teamer list you know the teamer lists were doing a, several different things but elder deep fiend was just in all of them everywhere and we saw that be very impressive on camera um Emerkle, uh being absolutely worth uh a payoff absolutely worth playing as a payoff you yeah. so he's clearly going to be a part of the metagame for as long as players can drag the game out that far uh and liliana is is just about as good as expected so to, to me those were sort of the four the four excuse me, the four threads that really came out of this weekend.
0: Yeah, I may as well share the the list I made in my top eight coverage where I was uh, adding up how many total copies we saw in the top eight of each of the kind of the relevant cards. Um, at the bottom, we had six copies of Elder Deep Fiend, four, only seven copies of Liliana, despite her being um, practically busted every time she made it onto the screen and survived a couple turns. I mean, people definitely underestimated her ultimate Um it, it, it reminds me of when people used to play things like Kajoran Outpost way back in the day to kind of have that token inevitability, except this time you're getting like a, a mathematic progression um, that you're not, that you really underestimate until you see it in play where they get, you know, two zombies one turn and then five the next and things just get completely out of control. Um, Kozalik's Return, you know, games games where that kind of sequence of events started off, um only ever seemed to be overcome when the player um, casting Liliana was already kind of on the back foot and some Kozilek's Returns were cast multiple times. Otherwise, that, that emblem always signaled the end. Um, so there was like seven copies of Liliana, seven Archangel Avicen, not a card you can write off just yet. Uh, eight copies of both Spell and Collected Company. They tend to go hand in hand. As you said, Emrakul really uh, was the, the biggest payoff at the top end and uh, was represented in eight copies. Nine copies of Ishkana, who has overperformed versus expectations and and made a good uh, a solid but not an incredible uh, piece of price movement this weekend. Still nine copies of Jace Friend's Prodigy. That was the third most played uh, money card uh, in the top eight, and and quietly so, it was barely commented on. Everyone's just kind of waiting for that card to fade at a standard, but it's still putting up results. um
1: yeah, uh, J- I would say J- Jace. This to me just keeps pr- proving that Jace is a very competent card. And, uh, you know, I know that almost all of us are watching to see that get into the $25, 20 range because it's only a matter of time before he doubles back up to 50 because of his play in Modern and Legacy. It's just so powerful.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're just waiting for a deck in Modern to need four of this consistently. Um, you know, the, the Grixis Control decks play it. Um, lots of other decks fool around with it. Um, but we need to see like a major Modern tournament, one with four copies of Jace in something uh, fresh. Um, or a very mm-hmm. uh, you know some kind of evolution of the Grixis deck that you know really secures its t- tier, at least tier one point five position. Um, I'm seeing copies of Jace as low as like twenty six, twenty seven dollars these days. So he's getting down towards the the area where I'm, I want to get in. I'm, I'm hoping closer to rotation we can get in. You know closer to twenty uh, would be amazing. If I see somebody particularly desperate on Facebook or Twitter, they and they're offering you know uh, a nerd deal four for eighty or something. I think I'll snap yeah. that up.
1: Yeah, four four for 80 type of thing is one really close to rotation. I would start um, hitting your local Facebook pages hard for that and, you know, kind of poking around your store like, hey, anyone quitting standard want to get rid of their Jace's, Uh, you know, 80 bucks. When you're putting $80 cash in somebody's hand for a card that's in the 25 ish, the $30 range, uh, you know, local players may respond to that very well because it's way more than any of the stores are going to give them.
0: Yeah, I mean, and then the the biggest card on my list was 12 copies of Traverse the Livenwald um uh happy to see this pick from a couple months back uh doing so well um tutoring people <laughs> when a card can tutor do not underestimate that card especially not when it costs one um very very strong performance by by that list and and impressed to see a very diverse uh emergent meta game that uh looked a lot different than what we saw at the star city games tournaments the first couple weeks of the season um It's important to point out to everybody and remind them, though, that uh, the Pro Tour, because it includes two draft pods on days one and two, um, is not always uh, the best indicator of what you're going to be seeing locally. And the trend that I've seen developing um, uh, over the last couple of years has been that these spikes that we see the weekend of the Pro Tour very rarely hold. Um, You know, Liliana, as a small set mythic late summer, yeah, she can probably hold 40 plus, but... You know, I called twice in the last few weeks for her to be sold because I I don't think you want to take that risk. If you got in at $10, $15, $20 and you can get out with a double up with real cash in your pocket, um, for sure do that. And and keep in mind that you need to look over the lists of the decks in Standard that went 8, or, eight and 2 or better and uh, take a look at what the you know win-through rate to Day 2 was for those decks uh, on the whole as an archetype. Um, as well as looking at the top performing standard players overall, because there was a couple of quirky decks too that you might have missed if you, uh, since they didn't make it to the top tables on the basis of poor draft performances. So uh, lots to to consider as the metagame develops over the next couple of weeks.
1: But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know this is the Pro Tour that kind of takes the place of the Block Pro Tour of, of the days of your, where you really want to identify the the key cards and look at. The strategies in some of these uh, decks to see if you can find stuff that looks like it'll transfer well and uh, and look for opportunities to put your money there. Um, you know that that Grapple the Past, Close the luck Return package. Uh, you know along with Delirium seems really strong. So I would be surprised if that's not still relevant in the fall. Uh, you know those types of things are harder to see now without a block Pro Tour. But I think that's that's what you need to try and extract out of these Pro Tours now to really find uh, an opportunity to make money that doesn't involve ordering cards as soon as they show up on camera on Friday. Jeez, Block. Talk,
0: talk, talk. I I forgot that format existed.
1: Yeah, I loved Block because it was cool and it made you so much money. (laughs) Avengers Endicar at $3, man. God, I like the Block Pro Tour. Very sad to see that go (laughs) All right, let's uh, let's hop over to segment four. Topic of the week: um, the TCG Player updates have seemed to have finally rolled out. I think I, I think they just finished it like earlier today. Uh, TCG Player was down for quite a while. Um, so for those of you unaware, now when you pull up a card on TCG Player, uh, not only do you see a market price, but they've unlocked some of the other ones. So there's a market price for both normal and foils. There's a price trend graph, uh, which looks like somebody just rubbed crayon on your screen, but there's, there's still information <laughs> there. Uh, there's a buy list market price, which is, I mean, you, there's a lot, a lot of impact behind something like that, and also a listed median. So, um, you know, these are the type of changes that, I mean, they don't like scream across the internet. It's not like a card suddenly gone and prices are going haywire. It's not a ban list. The, the, the changes are not that dramatic that quickly. But what these do is they Change the entire economy um, in very m- m- noticeable ways over the long term. Uh, I think this market price on the buy list is going to be a huge deal for a lot of people out there because now you're going to be able to pull up the card. Um, it, it, it's putting a lot of data in one spot that's going to make life very different for a lot of floor traders um, and other individuals.
0: Yeah, I mean, there were some people that were saying this was like the death of the backpack grinder, but I don't really think those people, I don't think people understand. <laughs> that was uh,
1: Arthur, right? Arthur Halvey? I think I saw the same tweet. Yeah,
0: I, I saw that one, but there was also other people talking in various oh. uh, okay. quarters of the internet. But the reality is that um, this gives these guys a real opportunity because if you show up at somebody's house to evaluate a collection and they've got a wrongheaded idea that they're going to get full retail for it. Being able to, you know, take a, a grab bag of cards out of the guy's binder and look them up quickly with him and and, tra- and look at the buy list price really helps you set a reasonable floor. Um, and when you're trying to get a, you know, if you're looking at a collection of like, you know, a bunch of Liliana's and Emmercool's that were recently released and are ultra hot, um, the buy list is going to be higher than you probably want to pay um, because you're not, you know, in that situation, it's about volume, not about margin. But for you are looking at some guy's collection that's 10, 15 years old or even five years old, and he's just got a bunch of old random stuff from boxes he bought along the way, um, then those buy list prices are really going to help you set the, you know, set expectations and close that deal. Um, and I think, you know, for local uh, collection buying, that's going to be a major boon. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to use this information in a lot of different ways, uh, and it's, it's, it's going to have an impact in a lot of different types of interactions, whether it's two players at FNM, two binder grinders, at a GP, a store and a player. Uh, it, it's going to work its way into all of these interactions.
0: It's also interesting to point out that not just uh, anybody—it seems that not just anybody can participate in buy list um, action on TCG Player. It looks like you have to apply. They want to know if you're already a seller. They're going to take a look at your selling record, how much sales you do. They're going to—they want to know if you have a brick and mortar store. They want your website address. So there's a little bit of vetting going on, um, which is is probably to the benefit of all. Um, But it it will be interesting to see um, what happens once this is opened up. Um, to smaller vendors, perhaps. Um, I mean, the danger is that everybody, <laughs> they can't open it to everybody because then everybody just says they're a store and that they, they want to post a buy list and then never pays full retail for anything ever again. and And stuff, you know, grinds to a halt. Um, I'm also, I'm also a little annoyed that this thing is still called market price when it should be like recent sales or something. Um, that sets a much better expectation, uh, for the frame of reference, um, this concept, uh, which I, I'm still confused by for a platform that wants things to sell, um, still seems to be kind of pointing people, you know, they make it the brightest color on the page. It's the same color as their add to cart button. Um, it really kind of leads you to believe that they want, uh, sellers to be pushing their prices as close to the last sale price as possible. Um, so, I
1: mean, they were already doing that through the, the seller's page because you can set your card to be priced at the lowest copy and also the last sold copy, um, with just one push that, I mean, they were putting you right there. Uh, I do think the market price is kind of funny, though, because if I'm a, if I'm looking to pick up some cards, I visit TCG Player and I scroll down. And it's like, huh, the cheapest near mint copy is ten bucks. When I look at the market price and it's you know five or six dollars, it's like, oh, I don't want to buy this. And where where I might have bought the card before, now I'm going, oh, this card is not worth that much. I shouldn't buy it. I might go look at other stores. I might see if anyone has one for trade. I might decide to wait. So I kind of wonder if the market price is going to end up. I can't see how that. Drives more sales, but I can see how people stop buying cards because of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it does drive more sales. Other than if you take one more step in the logic, um, it does scare people off. And so I think what they're hoping is that the vendors will realize that that nothing moves unless it's priced near the market price. And TCG's mm. logic is, well, we'll just make it so that only the vendors that are willing to match, you know, to keep prices lower on per, like to deliberately interfere with pricing. Um, And not try to strive for better profits are are going to get more sales And, and they're looking to make that kind of large scale volume play. Where they just want there to be a ton of churn inside the system and they're willing to take a, a lower overall margin because their, their percentage is tied to the vendor's percentage. So you would think that they would be in the camp of wanting their numbers to be bigger, but they must just be making the judgment call that more transactions at a lower margin is better than uh, you know people sitting around waiting to see if a vendor is going to drop their price to um, an earlier expectation.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. Is by putting this market price here, it's not, it's not even about informing the player; it's about forcing vendors to grind to really just grind the volume. <laughs> and TCG players in the position where volume is what they're interested in, so that's that's a good point. That's really gonna gonna put it there. Um, well, I mean,
0: and where this all le- and where this all leads is that there's an implied threat to the LGS down the road because the more reliant that players get on online. Um, purchases and the and the more often that it comes from TCG or something that is you know forced through market economics or market uh, mechanics to have pricing very similar to TCG, um, the more reliant in uh, players get. On getting their cards from those sources, um, the faster they can get them, the more reliably they can get them, the, the better, more reliable the condition is when they do get them, the more people that have online payment accounts, PayPal accounts, etc. And I got to believe that, you know, people are younger and younger these days when they get them. Um, the the more the, the value of the LGS comes into question, um, or more accurately, uh, the less likely the LGS is to be able to rely on singles uh, sales. Um It's not that it's going to disappear overnight. It's this, uh, you know, this long term attrition of their local sales as online sales get more and more reliable. You
1: know, I wonder uh, if their long term goal is to integrate stores onto some sort of uh, brick and mortar platform that's a little larger than what they've got right now, where it has like a full inventory tracking. And like you eventually, you know, maybe there's this goal where eventually your store signs up. And you have to keep uh, your inventory online is shared in paper. Uh, you're, you know, you're, you are beholden to kind of sell the cards at the TCG player rate so that players can look up the price and go, oh, the guy down the street from me has this card for this price. So instead of ordering it online or like I can order it online, and go down the street and pick it up or something um, and then kind of and pull the stores in and, and, you know, really use TCG players inventory tracking and sales and, and kind of matching um, the numbers, which which may be a way uh for them to to pull the stores in and, and kind of grab some of their business and the stores would do it because if they don't do it then people are just ordering from tcg player and they're not getting any sales locally at all so i don't know i don't know where
0: this goes what they're what chetty is shooting for well i mean it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether they attempt to eat puka trades lunch at some point um they're i mean they're looking real hungry right now um <laughs> the the last I heard, they were going after Quiet Speculations' ion scanner with the product of their own. Um, the the potential for them to try to add, you know, learn from PukaTrade's Trade's mistakes and um, roll out a trading platform that dovetails well with all their other stuff, where it's kind of like uh you want to trade for these cards and we'll support that and take a cut of the action from the person sending the card to you and then you know if you're missing one of the ones you need here's the lowest possible price that we can ship it to you for monday so you have it for your tournament um there's a lot of nice efficiencies there um, and they're going to look pretty tasty to these guys i wonder
1: if they're going to start putting guaranteed shipments on there as well like um you know, buyers, sellers will be able to say, okay, I can guarantee you that I can put this card in the mail within, you know, eight hours type of thing. Uh, you know, we can guarantee you it'll be there by a certain date. And then, you know, TCG player gets to charge a little bit of, a um, uh, a fee for that to make sure you get it on time. And then, you know, they penalize the sellers if they don't keep up with it pretty hard, which would also help, you know, the local stores a little more than guys like me who are just trying to out, their you know their spec inventory and don't want to be stuck having to put the card in the middle within
0: eight hours i mean tcg has over 100 employees now they were rated that one of the top 50 best companies to work for in new york state um the, these guys are not messing around and uh, any anybody who's in this business and isn't thinking about how tcg player may uh, impinge uh, on their uh, ability to make money on magic cards uh, isn't thinking hard enough
1: yeah, you know, they're actually two hours down the road from me, and I'm fr- they're based in Syracuse, and I'm from Syracuse and going to Star City Syracuse tomorrow. Um, I thought about going, you know, I've I've met Chetty, I checked out the location, I thought about uh, working there, but the ultimate problem with that is you have to live in Syracuse. And anyone that's been to Syracuse knows why that's a problem. <laughs> uh, just ask DJ or Saffron and they will tell you <laughs> why why the TCG's greatest weakness as an employer is that they are in Syracuse. Um, okay. I have to go do things before SCG tomorrow, so I am going to have to call it here, unfortunately. Uh, Where can our
0: loyal listeners find you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com.
1: Oh, great. And uh, again, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and every Wednesday on MTGPrice.com.
0: And I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, and yes, that is working. Um, Check out the ProTrader forums for those announcements. Fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering.
1: All right. That brings us to the end of episode 28. I thought it was a great episode. Thanks for joining me this week, James. Thanks
0: very much, Travis. And we'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.